Thank you, everyone, for that lovely singing. I will be uh, speaking today about uh, a subject that uh, is not uh, particularly in our schedule. We finished the book of James. We haven't uh, officially started another book, so there was some uh, flexibility on uh, which, which passage to teach on. And the Lord uh, was speaking to me through a chapter I was reading uh, a few weeks ago, and so I was thinking I'll preach on that, and and later I found out that there's some overlap between what I'm teaching and what was in um, one of the Sunday schools earlier today, and I like to see that because it tells me that God is at work, and uh, it... uh, causes me to hope that there's some value to what I have to say today. Uh, You may have heard the phrase, born again, or uh, a born again Christian, or to be born again, or you must be born again. And uh, it's my hope that as the result of this uh, time in the Word of God, you will, at minimum, know where to find that phrase in the Bible. And uh, hopefully understand what that phrase means. What does it mean to be born again? And uh, ideally, to know how to be born again. That's my, my hopes, my goal for you for today. And we'll turn to the passage where that uh, uh, verse is found. So now you'll know where to find it. John chapter 3. If you have never seen the verse knew where to find the passage, being born again, where that phrase is used, the answer is John chapter 3. And we'll start at the first verse of the chapter, John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, in the Greek or Hebrew, it's amen, amen. I say to you, unless one is born Again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? 
Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We start here with a person called Nicodemus, and we're told a few things about him. He's a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews. And uh, he comes here to Jesus with an interesting statement. He says to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And uh, if you would, Nicodemus is coming to Jesus and he's offering something to Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, I believe in you. And he's including others. We believe in you. And uh, it's not immediately clear why he's doing it, but it seems to it seems that he wants some sort of a sign of approbation from Jesus because Jesus answered and said to him. So Jesus is somehow answering something that he's doing. So he's coming and he's telling Jesus, Jesus, I believe in you. And he wants that, you know, pat on the back, you know, well done, Nicodemus, you're on the right path. You're right with God because you believe in me. Now, we see that there's, first of all, Jesus doesn't do it, right? Jesus responds and says, um, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What Jesus is telling him is, Nicodemus, you know, perhaps I'd like to give you a pat on the back, but the truth is you cannot even see the kingdom of God in your state. So he's, he's giving Nicodemus some bad news here. Now, we want to stop and think about that. We believe, and the Bible teaches, in fact, it includes it later in the passage, that we enter the kingdom of God by faith. We are saved by faith. And here is someone who is offering Jesus faith, and Jesus is effectively rejecting it and saying, you know, this is not going to work, Nicodemus. So we want to stop and think about it. What kind of a faith is it that uh, Nicodemus has? And uh, we see it says in verse 2 that he believes that Jesus is a teacher that comes from God. That's the extent of his faith. And um, even that seems to be a little bit questionable. He comes to Jesus and he's offering his faith. Jesus, I believe that you are a teacher come from God. But the passage includes the fact that he comes to Jesus by night. Which means, you know, he's not quite willing to make his faith public. Right? He's afraid of the consequences. So that's something wrong in his faith. As we go through the passage, we'll see that 
even though he's calling Jesus a teacher, I believe you're a teacher come from God, when Jesus will say things to him, he's not quite accepting what Jesus is telling him. Right? So there's a certain problem in the faith uh, that he has in Jesus. And uh, then we also have uh, the verses in John chapter 2. If you, if you back up, if you have your Bible open, just a few verses, the verses leading into the passage... He talks about Jesus, and it says, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, talking about Jesus, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them, because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. So there's more people who believe in Jesus, and yet Jesus is clearly holding back here. He's not giving himself over to them. He recognizes there's something wrong in the faith that they're having. Okay. Um, so the first thing we learn here about being born again, Jesus is answering Nicodemus saying, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God being born again is a prerequisite to enter heaven. Right? That's why we, people often try to use the phrase born again Christian. It means I've been born again. I believe that I have to be born again in order, in order to enter heaven. It comes from this text. That's biblical. You need to be born again in order to enter heaven. Now Nicodemus doesn't seem to quite like that statement. It seems like a question in verse 4. It says, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? It sounds like he's asking a question, but if you really think about what he's saying, he's saying, you know, how can a man? Um, it's kind of an incredible statement. Then suggests, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? The physics of that don't quite work. Right? So... I think what he's saying here, rather than really wanting to know how to be born again, he's saying, Jesus, what you are asking for is impossible. That's too much. What do you mean I need to be born again in order to enter the kingdom of heaven? Now, I, I uh, had my own you know, path that led me to the Lord. I didn't start out as a Christian. Right? I was born in my sins, as the Bible describes, and I was actually... Uh, an atheist for many years, or really more of an agnostic. Um, but I didn't, I didn't deeply think about, you know, the arguments for or against the existence of God. But uh, one day I went to church, and in church I met people who, who genuinely believed in the existence of God. And not just that, they were trying to submit themselves to the will of God. And uh, I felt for the first time my agnosticism or atheism challenge. And I, I had to stop and think about, you know, how do I know that I'm right and there is no God and that people who believe that there is a God are wrong? How do I know that? All of a sudden I realized there's reasonable people in the world that believe in the existence of God. I can't just dismiss that out of hand. And uh, Immediately, as I started searching, I started coming up with all these arguments against the existence of God. And uh, the reason was, you know, deep inside, I didn't want to be, there to be a God. Because if there is a God, I am answerable to him, 
And I knew my life didn't align very well with any expectation that my creator might have for me. And so I didn't want there to be a God, and so I came up with all these reasons and arguments against it. And that's really what's happening in Nicodemus' heart here. He doesn't like what Jesus is saying, and so he's coming up with arguments against what Jesus is saying. He doesn't like that Jesus is saying, you cannot even see the kingdom of God in your present state, Nicodemus. He doesn't like that statement. And says, ah, that's that's ridiculous, Jesus. What do you mean you have to be born again? Can a person enter a second time into his mother's womb? Doesn't make sense, right? So we want to think a little bit about what is it that Nicodemus believed about himself and his standing before God. Now, this would be pretty hard because the scripture don't tell us specifically what he was thinking here, but we have a help. We have this in, uh, I often talk about my job, you know, I make LEDs, and often, you know, I want to understand how different LEDs behave, and I may be able to take an LED and uh, do a certain number of tests in it, and I want to understand how it would respond to other kind of tests, but you know what, I'm... I destroy the device in my first set of tests. So the best thing I can do is find what we call the sister device, meaning another device that ought to be very similar. And so if if I take a sister device that was made exactly the same way at the same time and I test it, I can assume that both devices are the same. So we're looking for a sister device here for Nicodemus, if you would, or rather a brother. And we would find it in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. We can probably find someone who, who, who used to think a lot like Nicodemus is thinking in this passage. And that is, surprisingly, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul used to be a Pharisee. Right? And uh, had many similar credentials to Nicodemus. He, he didn't quite make it into the state of being a ruler of the Jews in the Sanhedrin, but he was headed straight that way until Jesus intersected his path. And I stopped him before that happened. But Philippians chapter 3, Paul is speaking, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. And this is what we're talking about. Confidence in the flesh. Confidence that I in myself am acceptable to God. Right? Paul is saying, I have reason to be confident in my flesh. To think that God will accept me based on who I am. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. I have more right to think that God will accept me based on who I am than you have based on who you are. And he's starting to list his credentials. Circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Right? You can sense, you know, Paul had reason. You know, he was speaking from that. This used to be Paul. He had confidence in the flesh. Now, and, and of course, we're, we're projecting that on Nicodemus and assuming that Nicodemus was thinking the same way. So we can break it up and we'll see that really the reasons Nicodemus had confidence that he was right with God in and of himself are not so different from the reasons people today think that they are right with God. All right? First one is uh, heritage. Right? We, uh, you know, if, if we have uh, Christian parents, so that's, I think that's day one still, might be day two. 
couldn't have been much later than that. Uh, you know, we often think if we're born in the right family, that that uh, makes us right with God. Right? My parents are Christians, therefore I am a Christian, and if I am a Christian, by definition, I am right with God. Right? People feel that way. And Nicodemus, Paul were the same. They were Jews. Jews were God's people, and they felt based on that, you know, we, we are right with God. All right, the other one is, uh, well, we think that we are better than others, right? We look at those around us and say, well, I'm really better than all these other people, or at least some of these other people, and uh, God can't send all of us to hell. So based on the fact I'm better than hopefully the average person, I'm pretty much assured in going to heaven. Uh, and that's captured in the word Pharisees. The word Pharisee literally means to, to separate yourself out from the group. Right? The Pharisees believed that the average Jew was not really good enough, wasn't really keeping the law of God good enough. So they literally left the group and kind of stood on their own and said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to be a really good guy. Right? That's what they felt upon themselves. And that lent them confidence, clearly Paul and Nicodemus, confidence, they must be right with God. If I'm better than everybody else, then I must be right with God. And uh, the third reason, and this would be maybe more obvious for Nicodemus than Paul, but probably both, is uh, what other people think of us. Right? If, if, so, if somebody comes and pats me on the shoulder and says, no, you're a really good guy, I know you're going to heaven. I mean, that makes me feel good. Right? If enough people will do that, I'll start believing it. And uh, Nicodemus, he made it to the top. Right? He was a ruler of the Jews. That means he was one of the 70 people that were looked to as religious authority in Israel. People looked at Nicodemus and said, this is exactly the way I want my son to be. So that gives you some measure of confidence uh, that, that you're going to heaven. Other people think that. I made a notice here. Nicodemus literally means conqueror of the public. And, uh, <clears throat> and we're good at that. We're good in convincing others that we're good. Right? We live a life in front of others to project how good we are. And then in private, we behave completely differently. You know, God can see you when you're in private, not just when you're in public. Okay, so back to Jesus, back to the passage in, uh, in John. Uh, Nicodemus will answer, sorry, Jesus will answer Nicodemus' objection. Nicodemus is bringing some objections to being born again. How is that possible? All right, so here we'll learn what it means to be born again. We already learned one thing. You have to be born again in order to go to heaven, right? Next thing we have here is in... Uh, Verse 5, that being born again is the work of God. Right? How is it possible to be born again? It is the work of God. Right? He says, you must be born of the Spirit. I'm not asking you to do something, Nicodemus. I'm not asking you to enter your mother's womb a second time or do any other crazy thing you can think of. None of that will work. It must be a work of God that makes you born again. We're told this in 2 Corinthians 5:17 therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation all things have passed away behold all things have become new and i think i have there a 
a picture of my son. That's Benaya, one hour old. How would you like to have a new beginning? Just get rid of everything in your history. Be able to start afresh. Right? And, uh, you know, as to the possibility of it, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. How is it possible? Well, the God who created the first me can create me again. Right? And that's what we're talking about, being born again. It means really a new you. Now, it doesn't change who you are, but it changes your nature. You receive a new nature from God. And that's, that's uh, really the new, uh, the next thing that Jesus says. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, I was born of the flesh out of my parents. And I've inherited basically the same flesh that they have. And today we actually understand this thing called the DNA in our cell. And literally, my body is built up based on information that gets passed through the DNA from my parents. Right? But uh, what the Bible teaches is that when Adam and Eve sinned against God, their very nature changed into a sinful nature. And I've inherited that sinful nature from my parents. And I am a sinner by birth. That's what the Bible says. Uh, Galatians 5.19 describes the flesh this way. Now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which... I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So in my flesh are all these sinful tendencies. And it says here very clearly that those who have these sinful tendencies cannot enter the kingdom of God. God doesn't want a bunch of sinners run, running around in heaven and defiling the place. Now, it doesn't mean God doesn't want you and me. Right? In all of this, bad news, there's good news coming. Right? But he doesn't want me practicing sin in heaven. And in my flesh, I am a sinner. Right? And I need a new nature if I am ever to make it into the kingdom of God, right? That's what Jesus said. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There needs to be a new me, or there's no entry into heaven. That's for sure. All right, uh, the third thing Jesus is saying here about being born again. So first of all, being born again is a work of God. Second, being born again is necessary in order for me to have a spiritual nature that is acceptable in heaven. And third, being born again is an invisible work with visible results. There's the illustration here of the wind, right? 
Jesus says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, I think this is kind of anticipating one of the objections that Nicodemus might have, is, well, where is the Spirit? I don't see the Spirit giving birth to people, and therefore it's not possible that someone must be born of the Spirit in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? Where is the Spirit? Show me. Well, Jesus says, can you see the wind? No? I mean, the wind blows where it, where you can't see it. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. But you can see the effects of the wind. It's moving things. It's blowing leaves. It's blowing clouds across the sky. You hear the sound of it. So you know that the wind is there even though you don't actually see it, right? You don't actually see the air moving. doesn't make it not real. Same thing with the Spirit of God. You don't see the Spirit of God. I don't see the Spirit of God. And yet we see its effect. And we saw that uh, a couple of weeks ago. There were a couple of baptisms. I wasn't here, but I got to listen to them. And God changes lives. And you see people's lives change, and you're saying, that was the work of the Spirit of God. That is evidence of the Spirit of God. I was... Uh, before I was saved, I was upset at uh, Christian, and so I started this uh, um, discussion, if you would, at the uh, fraternity house I lived in to try to expose the stupidity of Christians. I mean, that's how I felt about it. And uh, a couple of Christians uh, came by, and they saw me in that discussion, and they, they realized it wasn't the best place to enter into the discussion. There were too many other people involved. It wasn't going to be so fruitful. So they instead went upstairs and they prayed for me. A year later, I was in the same room teaching a Bible study. Right? The Spirit is real. And the work He is doing is real. Just because you don't see Him doesn't mean it's not true. Right? And that's the point Jesus is making here. Okay. <clears throat> And Nicodemus is again, uh, you know, reacting against this, right, in verse 9. He says, uh, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? And uh, that shows that even when God answers all our objections, okay, if God is telling me something I don't want to believe, like God is real, Right? Or God will judge you for your sins, or you're a sinner, a sinner, or you must be born again, as in this case. And God overcomes every objection. At the end of the day, we, we still can reject what God is telling us. Right? That's what Nicodemus seems to be doing here. How can these things be? All these objections are answered, and yet he's refusing to accept what Jesus is telling him. And that's, um, that's, that's the battle that uh, the Spirit of God has over our souls. We do not want to accept what God is telling us. We're struggling against it. I know that from my own experience. Okay, and Jesus here is kind of upping a notch a little bit. He's going to start rebuking Nicodemus for what he's doing because what he's doing is wrong. God told him the truth. God is answering his objections and he's still rejecting what God is telling him about the need to be born again. And so Jesus is going to start rebuking him for what he's doing. And again, God is at work in the lives of a person to convince them of their need for God. It's hard work, but that's what Jesus is doing in this passage. Okay, so first thing he's rebuking him is for not knowing 
what the Word of God teaches, right? He says, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Now, Nicodemus had access to the Word of God. Now, maybe not everybody in those days had access to the Word of God, but he was a Pharisee, he was a ruler of the Jews, surely he had a Bible in his house, right? And yet, this is a truth that the Bible teaches of which he is ignorant, right? The Bible says that to whom much is given, much will be expected. He had the truth of the Word of God in his hand, and he wasn't accepting what the Word of God was telling him. And uh, I would say people today are in the same boat. Never before in the history of man was the Bible, the Word of God, as accessible to people as it is today. Right? I mean, you could go to uh, Amazon.com or wherever you like buying your books and order a Bible for probably under $5. Right? And you don't even have to do it. If you have Internet access, you can read it from the Internet for free. Right? And if you don't know what it means, you can get commentaries for free. So the issue is not the accessibility of the word. God is not holding anything back. The issue is a willingness to know what God is telling us. We are not interested. And in fact, later in the passage, it says that, that uh, men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They didn't want to know the truth of God. Nobody here has an excuse not to know what the word of God teaches Okay, second thing he's rebuking Nicodemus for is for not believing the testimony of God, right? He says in verse 11, Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. It's interesting, Jesus is speaking in the plural here, and there's two schools of thoughts about it. Either Jesus is speaking as a we Godhead, you know, we, me, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, you know, are telling you these things, and you're not accepting them. Or, it's possible, he's speaking as we, the prophets, the teachers of God, which you believe that I am, right? All the prophets have spoken. In either way, he's rejecting the word of God. God is telling him something very plainly, and he's saying, how can these things be? And, uh, you know, if I told you something, right, if I told you, you know, when I drove in this morning, uh, you know, I saw a couple of coyotes playing in the yard. And uh, you say, no, I deal full of it. What are you calling me when you say that? You're calling me a liar, right? And, uh, you know, that's fine. You can call me one because I am. But, uh, you know, Do you want to call God a liar? Well, if God is telling you something and you're saying, I don't believe you, God, you're calling God a liar. Listen to this. John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. You're calling God a liar if you don't accept what God says in his word. Finally, Jesus is rebuking uh, Nicodemus for 
not believing the evidence all around him, right? He's saying in uh, verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe. Earthly things, things that we have earthly evidence for. And I believe what he's talking about here is the sinfulness of man. And the fact you must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God or enter the kingdom of God. Uh, years ago, we uh, used to uh, give a test. Right? We, in the Zucchini Festival, we used to have a big sign saying, are you good enough to go to heaven? And then in smaller letters, take the test here. Right? So if you want to know if you're good enough to go to heaven, just take the test here. And we would use the, uh, the uh, Ten Commandments as a test. Right? All right. You want to know if you're good enough to go to heaven? Do you accept that the Ten Commandments is uh, the word of God uh, or the stand of how to get to heaven? How well do you do? Right? And I actually have a clip I was going to have them show you. This is not our work. This is uh, something that uh, we got from YouTube. But somebody doing something similar. So take a look. See what happens when people test themselves to see if they're good enough to go to heaven. Do you know which destination awaits you? Most believe heaven. When questioned, nearly everyone proclaims their own goodness. Lori, would you consider yourself a good person? Yes. I'd consider myself a, a good moral person. I consider myself a good person. Would you guys consider yourselves good moral people? Yeah. yeah. I would. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, I consider myself a good moral person. I tried myself to be a good moral person according to the teachings of my religion. Uh, for the most part, I like to think so. Most of the time. Uh, would you consider yourself a good moral person? Yes, I do. Yes. I try to be a good person and I think I'm a good person. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, yeah. However, their answers change drastically when compared to the Ten Commandments. Lied, yeah, a lot. Used to. Um, uh, I've been a good liar and a bad liar, both. I, I, I try not to be a bad liar a lot, though. So have you lied? I, I know I do lie. It's just... So what is it? What are you? Liar. Have you ever told a lie? Sure. What does that make you? A liar? <laughs> I've lied. What would that make you? That would make me uh, a liar. Right. Uh, have you ever lied? Yeah, definitely. I've lied before. What does that make you? That makes me a liar. Big fat liar. Let me ask you, have you ever lied? Yes. What does that make you? A liar. Have you ever stolen anything? No. Paper supplies, computer no, I software, I Napster music? Yes. Yeah. I thought, yes, I've stolen something before. What would that make you? At that time, it would make you a thief. So you've stolen some, maybe something small. That, that's a possibility. Okay, and someone who steals is a... Thief. So would you consider yourself a lying thief then? Would you consider yourself a thief? Yeah, uh, I suppose so. So you're a lying thief? I'm a lying thief. I think we can be friends anymore. Uh, well, uh, yeah, uh, I guess you can see it that way. But uh, like you said, it's subjective, and I agree with that. I think it's entirely subjective. Softwares and a lot of 
I have listened a lot of music so without yes it's considered to be a stolen would that make you a thief yeah that all right thank you <clears throat> all right we're taking a breather here because there's a transition that's happening here and uh, it's going from what we call the bad news which is we are sinners right and we are not going to heaven things being as they are into the good news which is the fact that God actually has made a way that it's possible for us for everybody in this room to go to heaven okay and Jesus is is uh, starting that transition actually in the same verse verse 12 and if i have told you earthly things and you do not believe how will you believe if i tell you heavenly things really the heavenly things is the message of the gospel which is god has made a way for each of us to go to heaven in spite of the fact that we're, we're sinners and of course that's what the phrase born again is jesus wouldn't say you must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of god unless there is a way for us to actually be born again and if you remember that was my second or third goal for you is that you will not leave this room not understanding what it is you have to do in order to be born again and uh, Jesus will now tell us to first the first thing he actually says he assures us that what he tells us is true by saying in verse 13 no one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven that is the son of man who is in heaven is basically saying he came down from heaven to bring us the message of how we can be born again and that's important because you know if people wander in the street and they say well if you do this or that you'll be saved you want to have some sort of backing well Jesus came from heaven he's bringing us a message from heaven of how it is we can enter into heaven and uh he describes it in verses uh, 14 and 15 for us and he starts with a picture and says as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up i realize some of you may have already talked about that today uh but let's go ahead and look at that passage so if you have your bible you could turn to numbers chapter 21 to get the picture because Jesus is using here a picture he's saying this is how you get born again and uh he's alluding to something that happened in the wilderness with Moses lifting up a serpent so easy easy to find numbers chapter 21 it says then they journeyed from mount hor by the way of the red sea to go around the land of edom and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way so this is israel they've left egypt the children of israel left egypt they're on the way to the promised land and on the way they're getting very discouraged and the people spoke against God and against Moses why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness for there is no food and no water and our soul loathes this worthless bread so a lot of unthankfulness here in Israel God is saving them from slavery and death a terrible situation in Egypt he's bringing them to a promised land a wonderful place along the way he's providing for them miraculously with this thing they're calling a worthless bread but it's manna the bible describes it as heaven food and uh you know they're complaining they're accusing god of wanting to kill them along the way instead of bringing them to the promised land so you could understand that god is a little bit offended by that and uh so the lord responds in verse 6 so the lord sent fiery serpents among the people 
and they beat the people, and many of the people of Israel died. So this is God's judgment. Snakes are coming along the line, line, poisonous snakes. They're biting the people, and people are dying as a result. And probably people are dying very quickly from the snake bites. I didn't look it up, but there are some snakes that you will die within hours of getting the snake bite. So it could have been that it was those kind of snakes. So the children of Israel are crying out and saying, you know, we've done wrong. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. They recognize what they've done was wrong. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So they're asking, you know, for, for, for salvation. God, do something uh, to save us from it. Actually, they're just asking for the serpents to be taken away. And really, God is going to do something better here. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So if, you, if a snake bit you, you had poison in your veins, you may have had hours to live. All you had to do is find that pole and look at that pole and you would be healed. This is just a miracle, right? God is saving them from judgment in a completely miraculous way. No question about it. Now Jesus is comparing himself to this. And he says that as, as Moses lifted up the serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What is he talking about? The cross, right? He's talking about him being lifted up on the cross. And just as people looked, so, so this is an analogy for us, right? Just as those people were dying, we are dying too, right? Are you dying? I'm dying. Right? Physically speaking, I'm, I'm, there's a limit of how much time I'm going to be here. And then when I die, if you are in Nicodemus' state, you're going to hell. Right? You are spiritually separated from God. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot even see the kingdom of God without being born again. You are dying or you are dead. Right? So you're in a similar state to these people were. And he's told that just as Moses lifted up the serpent on a pole in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What do we need to do? We need to look, right? We need to look at, at Jesus on the cross, right? So just as they looked at the serpent on the pole, we must look to Jesus on the cross. Now, you have to be a little bit careful. Jesus doesn't say look, right? <clears throat> Jesus actually uses another word. He says that whoever believes in him should not perish and have everlasting life. So I can't actually look, or let's say if I could somehow look, that wouldn't do me any good. I had to believe. What is it that I need to believe? Well, what did the people of Israel believe when they looked to the serpent on the cross? They believed that that would heal them, right, from the snake bite. We must look to Jesus on the cross believing that that would heal us from our sins. Right? And, uh, and that's what Jesus has promised. Right? He says, right, that whoever believes in him should not perish, will not go to hell, but have eternal life. Jesus says, if we look to the cross as God's provision for our sins, 
we will live, we will have eternal life, which means being born again. That's how you get born again. You look to Jesus on the cross, believing that what Jesus did on the cross fixes your sin problem with God. Now, why is it that Jesus, you know, we have to look to Jesus on the cross? I mean, couldn't we look to Jesus sitting in an armchair and trust that, you know, God is going to use that to save us from our sins? Well, we, we can't for one reason, and that Jesus didn't say that's what we need to do, right? right? God, gives us, God is giving the uh, uh, prescription of how to be healed from our sins, and we better do as the doctor ordered, right, to start with. But second of all, there was something that Jesus needed to do on the cross in order for us to be saved from our sins. And uh, Isaiah 53 probably says it as well as any, any other place in the Bible. Isaiah 53, verse 5, says that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, God couldn't save you from your sins without somebody else paying for and that's why you have to look to Jesus on the cross. Because there, on the cross, Jesus took our sins in his body on the tree that we might live for righteousness. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus had to pay for my sins so that I would not have to pay for that's why we have to look to Jesus on the cross and what he did in order for us to be right with God. So I have some final thoughts. And I realize our time is, is up, so I'm going to make them brief. First is uh, I'm hoping you realize that God loves you. And uh, people often say that in a trivial way. Oh, you know, God loves you. Oh, yeah, God loves me. God loves all of us. And yet they have no grounds for that. What Jesus did on the cross is the grounds for us to believe that God loves us. It says in 1 John 4, 9 and 10, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So I don't deny that God loves you. And I don't deny that God shows his love to us in other ways. But everything pales compared to what God has done on the cross. He sent his only son to die for your sins. Nothing compares to that. Second, uh, I recognize that uh, it can be a difficult process. You may be hearing people trying to tell you that you are a sinner. 
I'm like, I don't like that. <laughs> and that's clearly what Jesus was doing in this passage with Nicodemus, right? He was trying to help Nicodemus recognize his sin. And uh, Jesus says here, is the last verse we have, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's not the purpose. God isn't, didn't uh, give us the Bible. I'm not standing here preaching in front of you to convince you how bad you are. There's no value in that. Other than the fact that it leads to salvation. <clears throat> Finally, there's a word that appears a couple of times in this passage, both in verse 15 and 16, and that word is whoever. Verse 15, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And again, verse uh, 16, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There is only one thing limiting you being born again before you leave these doors. And that is whether you choose to recognize that you are a sinner, that you need an act of God and an act of God alone to save you, and that act of God was done on the cross 2,000 years ago. If you're willing to believe that, you can leave those doors born again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we... Uh, uh, we thank you, realize that there's no way we can thank you enough for what it is you have done for us on the cross. We recognize that in spite of that great act of love you've done for us, many, many people do not believe in you or are not reaping the rewards of what you have done for them. And we realize it is because of hardness of heart, not being willing to believe that uh, we are sinners that stand before a holy God and that only a miracle of God can change us and make us right with him. I pray, Lord, for everybody in this room or anyone in this room who has not yet bowed the knees and is somehow wrestling with God, as Nicodemus did in this passage, that you bring them to the end of themselves and to yourself. Well, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.